so someone. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers? Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Amen. Do keep uh, that text in front of you. Um, if you don't have a Bible, let me encourage you to, to uh, fetch one. Um, this talk will make a lot more sense if you can see the words that I'm referring to. Uh, today we're studying Psalm 1. Psalm 1 introduces us to the Psalms and it introduces Psalm 2, which is really what the Psalms are all about. That is God's Messiah, the Christ. The one man who explains all of our human experience and precisely the plans of God in this world. Now, Psalm 1 starts where Psalm 2 finishes, the happy life, the good life, the life to be desired. Psalm 1 begins, how happy is the one? And Psalm 2 ends, all who take refuge in him are happy. This is one reason why it's great to have a physical Bible in front of you because you can see on the page this connection, which is much harder to see as we scroll. Someone tells us this is the goal. This is the kind of life everyone should want to live, but there is an alternative. There's a choice. Two possible ways to live, two possible outcomes. One life leads to happiness, the other to ruin. Well, the first life is the way of the righteous. They are the happy ones. But what is happiness in the Psalms? Your first thought is probably like mine, the fleeting, happy emotion you get when something goes right for you, laughing with a friend, your sports team winning, um, the lawnmower starting on the first pull. Happy used to be translated, blessed. And still in our other English translations, the NIV, the ESV, you will read, blessed is the one. And perhaps blessed is a better word for us. But what does blessed mean? Well, it kind of means happy. So we've not made any progress. Other words we might use include lucky, fortunate, to be envied. But none of those sound very Christian. What is certain is that happiness describes the outcome of the best possible life in God's world. This is the life everyone should want to live. Now, we know the kind of life that our culture pursues. We know the advice of the world around us, the pursuit of pleasure, the avoidance of pain, the uh, unending collection of possessions, property, cars, travel, memories, children, grandchildren, legacy, indulgence, sex, food, wine, fun. It offers a fleeting happiness, 
something that is based on circumstance. Now, even the atheist knows that possessions do not satisfy, memories of your trip to Italy do not last, and even children do not always bring us joy. Happiness based on such flimsy circumstances will always fail. The goal of the culture around us cannot be the goal of the Christian life. The happiness of someone must include a far greater satisfaction, a far greater joy, a far greater substance, something that endures. The happy life begins by avoiding the advice of the world. Verse 1, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers? But friends, life cannot be only about avoiding. How long can you empty yourself of the world's temptations before they just begin to fill you up again? We have a saying in our family, empty surfaces collect junk. Uh, you might clear away a bench top, but it immediately begins to gather junk again. Old papers, um, dead batteries, a half-eaten muffin wrapped in glad wrap. It's one of my favourites. Empty surfaces collect junk. So the happy life cannot just be about avoiding the negatives. The happy life is about filling The happy life is so full that the distractions and advice of the world cannot take hold. Verse 2. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. Happiness comes not from the world but from being full of God's instruction. The NIV and the ESV say, who delight in the law of the Lord. Now, this kind of language, instruction, law, is sometimes a reference to the legal commandments that God gave, especially in Leviticus, but it is more commonly a reference to the full Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. It is more than just do's and don'ts. Because although this Torah does include some commandments, it also includes great narratives, particularly how God created the world that we live in. It also includes prophecy concerning what God intends to do as he gathers a people to make his own and gives them a place that they might live. Happy is the one who delights not on a list of do's and don'ts, but on the full counsel of God and all that he shows us. This person meditates on it day and night. And this is not some kind of a mystical meditation where you try to empty your mind of thoughts. The Bible uses the word meditate like we use the word study, to reflect on, to learn, to think about, to fill your mind, to come back to it again and again like a cow. A cow eats until it is full and then it rests and then it brings that food back up again to chew on it once more. 
the instruction of the Lord concerning life in this world is to be chewed upon, fill yourself on it, rested upon, re-chewed, digested, digested again. So friends, the most practical and significant thing that you can do this year as we start 2024 is resolve to immerse yourself once more in God's instruction. Write down your resolution, download an audio Bible, listen to a chapter of God's word over breakfast every day. Make this the year that you are regular in a growth group, if you are not already. Be immersed in God's word. Fill yourself with God's word in the presence of God's people again and again like a cow. Happy is the one who learns what life is about from God and not from the world. Happy is the one who studies it and learns it and fills themselves until they are full. That person, verse 3, is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. See in this Picture, this image, which interestingly is the image we use for growth groups. Do you remember the tree that we put? In this image, notice how the source of life is not the tree itself, but the stream which provides it. And as long as the tree has access to the stream, so its life will never end. Happy is the one who finds this enduring life. And we must see the connection to God's word. To meditate on God's word is to have access to this stream. The counsel of God is where you can find this never-ending life. Now, Psalm 1 is particularly focused on outcomes. If this is the way you choose to live, here is the outcome. Look, at the end of verse 3, whatever this person does prospers. That is an unbelievably high expectation. What could it mean? Well, this week I looked for some scientific research to see what benefits are there of religious living. And uh, you, like me, might approach this kind of topic with a little bit of scepticism. But the Mayo Clinic, which gave us the seven uh, ways of having a good life this year, also did this research for us, religious involvement, spirituality and medicine, here's what they say. Scientific studies have shown that religious involvement and spirituality are associated with better health outcomes, including greater longevity, coping skills and health-related quality of life, less anxiety, less depression, less suicide and enhanced recovery from illness. Interestingly, religious living did not make the list of seven that we heard earlier. That's the conclusion of secular science. Now, the studies are not concerned with genuine Christian belief, in fact, not concerned with Christianity at all, just religious participation. And perhaps, really, the results shouldn't surprise us because people who participate in religion uh, place greater value on community, place greater value on less risk-taking behaviours, less smoking, less promiscuity, less alcohol. Uh, It's a lifestyle that comes with greater purpose and greater meaning and greater participation in society. That kind of life will statistically result in better health outcomes. 
Now, what also doesn't surprise me is that these studies and other like them are buried by the scientific community and neglected and ignored because they go against the advice of the world which says the good life in 2024 must come without God. Now, what's the point in me including this science? Well, it concerns our view of prospering in this life. It is to say that there are tangible benefits to living a godly life in this world. We know the outcome of the Christian life ultimately is heaven. But in this life now, God gives us instruction that is good for the way we live now. Let's have a quick side note. Not all of us feel that we prosper. Not all of us are currently in good health. And this causes something of a problem for us as we read this verse. But let's finish working our way through the text of the psalm before we then address the reality of suffering in this world. We're up to verse 4. The psalmist now contrasts the righteous life with the only alternative way to live called the wicked. From verse 4, the wicked are not like this, like a tree planted next to a steady stream of life. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Where the righteous life is full of substance and permanence, the wicked grasp only at non-substance and impermanence. Nothing to show for the life that they chose. No connection to the God who made you. Nothing to take with them into eternity, like chaff blown away in the wind. And because of the life that they chose, their fate before God is sealed. Verse 5. Therefore, the consequence, therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. In what other areas of life is the outcome already decided? When is it too late to change what the outcome will be? Maybe our students sitting an exam. There was a student uh, sitting their final exam And uh, the examiner called time up, uh, pens down, it's time to leave. And so all the students, one by one, filed up to the front, put their paper down and left the room. But this one student remained, uh, continued writing, continued writing. Finally, they stood up and came to the front to hand their paper in. And the examiner said, I'm sorry, but you can't hand that in. Tom was up ages ago. And the student said, excuse me, but do you know who I am? And the examiner said, no. And so the student picked up the pile of papers, shoved theirs in the middle and walked out. (laughs) One day you will stand before God and you cannot hide yourself in the pack. He knows the choices you've made and the way you lived in his world. There are only two ways to live and two possible outcomes. Happy are those who walk with God in this life. 
who delight in his instruction. For the other way leads to ruin. Now we've worked through the whole text of the psalm. Uh, There are two major problems with it. Not problems with it, but problems with us, our hearts and our minds, as we come to read it. The first problem is that it seems to teach us salvation by works. It seems to say that we will have guaranteed health and wealth and eternal life if only we make the right choices, if only we love God enough, if only we avoid sin and read our Bibles every day. How does this psalm fit into the rest of Scripture which teaches salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. The second problem is that it seems to deny the reality of Christian suffering. We know people who delight in the Lord and yet suffer horribly. We know people who are unashamed in their wickedness yet prosper tremendously. How does this psalm account for the real world that we actually live in? Well, when we have problems with the Bible, here's our mantra. Scripture interprets Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture. Say it over and over again. Whatever problems we think we have with a text, they will find their resolution as we just delve further into the text. So another mantra we might have is just keep reading. It's when we read Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 together that we start to see the resolution of our problems. Of course, we already saw that both Psalms speak of the happy life, but we discover also that both begin with meditation, with thinking, with pondering. The righteous one ponders the Lord's instruction, the wicked in Psalm 2 plot against it. I'm going to read verse 1 and 2 of Psalm, chapter, of Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. Now Psalm 2 goes on to describe the magnificent plan and purposes of God in this world. As the world plots in disobedience and rejects him, God establishes an earthly representation of his rule. Our response to this one man that he establishes determines the outcome of our life. So in verse 12 of Psalm 2, pay homage to the son or he will be angry and you will perish in your rebellion. The message of Psalm 2 is the centrality of the Christ to God's plan. And today we know with certainty that the Christ is Jesus. That is the instruction of the Lord to delight in, to meditate on, to come back to again and again, meditate on the centrality of Jesus Christ to life in God's world. For the desired outcome of Psalm 1, happiness, blessing, joy, eternal life, does not begin in our individual efforts, but by first finding refuge in Jesus For he is the righteous man of Psalm 1. He is the one who never walked in the way of the wicked. The one who perfectly delighted in the Lord's instruction. 
He's the one to whom God says at his baptism, you are my son with whom I am well pleased. Who amongst us could live up to this standard of Psalm 1? Don't raise your hand. Our happiness cannot be by works, by by the, the perfect avoidance of temptation, by filling ourselves and memorising scripture, by obeying lists of laws. Our salvation begins by taking refuge in the truly righteous one. Psalm 1 allows the foundation for biblical faith in Jesus Christ. And scripture agrees. We read in Romans 3, there is no one righteous, referring to us, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. In Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. In John 7, the one who believes in me, Jesus says, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. Jesus is the one by which we have the happy life, by which we will not wither, but live with him eternally. Happy is the one who listens to God and comes to Jesus. But what of suffering in this life? How can the Psalms say, all we do will prosper? Well, happiness is ultimately true in heaven, but we also live in the here and now. And As much as the scientifically observed benefits to religious living might be true statistically across the population, it guarantees nothing to us individually. So I think it's important that we notice this. The Bible is honest about suffering. The happy life in Psalm 1 is not lived in isolation in Psalm 1, but in the presence of wickedness. The world depicted in Psalm 2 is not pure, but filled with rebellion. The Bible does not promise a life devoid of suffering and opposition, but lived in the presence of it. The Bible promises salvation through it. Because Jesus didn't become the Christ by avoiding pain, but by entering into it by being flogged and hung on a cross, by embracing his death in our place and by coming out the other side into a new life. Friends, happy is the one who meditates on the fact that Christ also suffered, that he suffered in our place, that his suffering was not the end and that by his suffering, our suffering will one day end. The one who suffers yet holds fast to him will indeed prosper. Jesus is taking you to where you need to be. So if you are suffering now, and I have had my life ripped out from under me over the last two years, months in bed, 
unable to hold my own children. If you are suffering now, hold fast to Jesus who went before us. God is saving the whole world and Jesus has already saved you. The godly life is one that follows Jesus even through suffering, finding refuge in him, knowing with full certainty that you will come out the other side with riches far greater than you could have imagined in the midst of your pain. Happy, blessed is the one who knows that. Friends, there are two ways to live in God's world. Really, there's only one. We either delight in the instruction of God and find our refuge in Jesus Christ, or we join those who listen to the ways of the world and seek all the vain pursuits that it offers. One way leads to happiness, the other way to ruin. It's a choice we all must make. Have you found your refuge in Christ? Will you resolve this year to keep meditating on him? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word which has revealed to us Jesus Christ, who suffered and died in our place for our sin so that we might have life. Father, help us to keep coming back to your word again and again so that we might be reminded of the truly righteous man who saves us. Help us to live now in this world for him. We pray it in his name and by your spirit. Amen.